1: BC's first vaccine recipient. It
0: just
2: brings a spark of light and joy, and it's so exciting.
1: New details about when it'll be available to the rest of us.
3: A warning for those who bend the rules.
4: But there are those who are not prepared to bend a little bit in their personal lives.
3: Beefed up enforcement of COVID guidelines.
4: And the Canucks Orca
1: logo under fire. The natives just. Dish- didn't speak up at the times why the team is facing backlash from first nations
5: you're watching global bc this is global news hour at 6
3: It's V-Day in BC, prompting cheers as the first COVID-19 vaccine is administered to a healthcare worker in our province. Good evening and thanks for joining us. And that long-term care worker is the first of 4,000 healthcare workers expected to get the vaccine in this first round.
1: We'll have more on that in just a moment, but first let's take a look at today's numbers. We have 522 new cases. That brings bc's total to forty three thousand four hundred sixty five sadly twenty one more people have died which means we've now lost six hundred sixty eight people in bc three hundred sixty one people are in hospital ninety three of those patients in the icu and both of those numbers are records thirty one thousand eight hundred sixty six people are considered recovered leaving us with 9,860 active cases and 10,768 in self-isolation.
3: Now, if all goes well, today marks the beginning of the end for COVID 19 in BC. Two hundred and seventy-one days after the province declared a pandemic, the first doses of vaccine have now been injected into the arms of frontline healthcare workers.
1: And as Richard Zissman reports, those first shots are just the beginning of what will be the biggest mass inoculation program in
6: provincial history. And, uh... One down, millions to go. 64-year-old residential care aide Nisha Eunice, the recipient of BC's first COVID vaccine, a shot in the arm the boost British Columbia needs in a fight against COVID-19. It's so exciting
2: to know that uh, we are starting to make a difference in turning the tide of this pandemic and it's
6: monumental. Dr. Bonnie Henry standing by for the historic occasion. The province will immunize nearly 4,000 people over the next few days. The recipients will be health care workers, mainly at long-term care in the province's hardest-hit areas. But an acknowledgement, this is just a start.
0: There are several weeks, probably a good uh, two or three months, until we are where we need to be in terms of long-term care.
6: The biggest challenge with this vaccine, distribution. It won't be out of Metro Vancouver until next week. And it's not approved to be moved into long-term care home. So it will take some time before residents can actually be immunized. The
2: other thing we're working on with Pfizer is making sure that we have the safety protocols in place so that we can move the Pfizer vaccine. And hopefully that will be coming soon too.
6: And for some residents, this vaccine is a matter of life or death. The rate of death continues to rise rapidly in B.C., most of these deaths in long-term care. In the last three months, there have been 449 COVID deaths. Of those, 369 have been in the last month and a staggering 109 in the last week alone. A glimmer of hope with the vaccine, but knowing that the next couple of weeks will be some, some very bad news. The prevailing message from public health, preventing the spread of COVID could mean a long-term resident avoids the virus long enough to get one of these potentially life-saving shots. <laughs> Richard Zospin, Global News, Victoria.
1: Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria right now. Keith, that vaccine is all well and good, but the Premier had a warning today for those who think we can relax yep. just because it's here. And he's putting rule breakers on notice.
7: Yeah, Prima John Horgan laying down the law today. More on that in a second. I want to walk people through some numbers, though, as we do every night, of where the virus is most troubling. And health officials are picking up a bit of a concern of what's going on in the northern part of B.C. Fraser Health continues to have the dominant numbers, but Northern Health has the highest hospitalization rate in B.C. right now, 40 people alone in Prince George Hospital. Uh, and the positivity rate, again, the highest in B.C. at 10.6%. So the numbers are troubling. One health official told me, in fact, Adrian Dix told me today he finds that somewhat disquieting what's happening in the north. A bit of anxiousness over the rise of the virus in a remotely uh, sparsely populated area of the province. Back to Premier John Horgan today. He opened up his weekly news conference with a bit of a surprise. A warning to people that the people uh, government's is going to play tough over the uh, Christmas break uh, in terms of people breaking the rules. There are going to be a lot of enforcers, enforcement measures out there trying to catch people breaking the rules. And fines will have to be paid. The Premier sending a very strong message this afternoon.
4: That means holding rule breakers accountable. That means ensuring that the fines that we levy are collected. Certainly, everyone has a right to appeal. Everyone has a right to due process. But once that due process has been finalized, if you do not pay the fines, we will send collections after you. This is serious. This is not a lark. This is not something we do lightly. Those who do not want to obey the rules that the rest of us are following will have to pay the consequences.
7: So this was a new measure announced by the Premier today, going to collection agencies and using them to make rule breakers uh, pay their fines. A lot of people have re- just simply refuse to pay their fines, even though they've been fined $2,300 if they're an organizer, $230 if they're a participant in a banned event. Things are going to get tough for rule breakers over Christmas. Let's hope it works. Keith Baldry in Victoria, thank you. Right.
3: At least two more shipments of vaccine are expected to arrive in Canada before the end of the year. The Prime Minister says 200,000 more doses of the Pfizer vaccine are coming, while Moderna is ready to start shipping its vaccine within 48 hours of getting Health Canada approval. Aaron MacArthur has the latest.
8: The planes continue to arrive from Calgary to St. John's, the first doses of the Pfizer vaccine arriving direct from the manufacturer.
5: plan is to start doing these tomorrow. Yep, everyone's ready. Ready, waiting, and I think eager.
8: As the initial doses are distributed, promises of more to come. The federal government announcing hundreds of thousands arriving before the end of the year. 200,000 Pfizer doses will be in Canada next week, okay. with 70 distribution points spread out across all 10 provinces.
9: We are attempting and successfully so, to move up the delivery dates of the vaccines uh, that indeed are being produced outside of this country.
8: Also in the pipeline, Moderna's vaccine. Once Health Canada gives approval, likely by the end of this week, the company will release 168,000 doses within 48 hours. Because it's easier to transport, the territories expected to receive the first shots.
10: We're working to ensure the logistics planning is ready when vaccines are available and have already shipped medical-grade freezers to the north.
8: Despite fears Canada will be towards the back of the line, the government says it's on track to reach critical mass for herd immunity later in 2021. But with record numbers of cases across the country, officials are worried people will let their
4: guard down. Dr. Henry and I are both pretty clear on this. Uh, The vaccine does not mean we throw our masks up in the air today and celebrate the end of COVID-19 because that is not the case. The end of the pandemic is in sight.
8: The vaccine, the light at the end of the tunnel. But at this point, we are only about halfway through. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
1: Fraser Health is reporting a new COVID-19 outbreak at Burnaby Hospital. The health authority confirms three patients in the medicine unit have tested positive for the virus. That unit is temporarily closed and staff are working to accommodate essential visitors on a case-by-case basis. The rest of the hospital, including the emergency department, is still open. A previous outbreak at Burnaby Hospital, which saw 12 people die and dozens of others test positive, was declared over just on Friday.
3: More than 60 cases of COVID-19 are now tied to a cluster centered on a staff housing at Big White Ski Resort, Interior Health says most of the cases stem from either social gatherings or those living in shared housing. All of those identified are being required to self-isolate and contact tracing is ongoing. Despite the high number of cases, Interior Health says the risk of getting COVID-19 remains low for individuals and families visiting the hill. But everyone is required to wear a mask and follow social distancing guidelines. We have identified 60 cases that have
2: tested positive. We became aware of uh, households of 8, 12, 15 individuals, and and, uh, many of the cases um, are coming from those households.
3: Big White Resort says operations will be adjusted to ensure all guests and staff are safe. And the details of that plan will be made public tomorrow.
1: The B.C. government is apologizing tonight for the delay in delivering pandemic pay to thousands of health care workers who've been battling COVID-19 since March.
3: The province promises the lump sum payments are coming, but as Kylie Stanton reports, not everyone will get them in time for Christmas.
11: Once the doctors and nurses have done their job, it's people like Jason Zotek who come in for the dirty work.
5: We deal with blood, feces, vomit. Uh, isolation cleans.
11: So when the provincial and federal government partnered to bring in temporary pandemic pay, a $4 an hour top-up for a 16-week period between mid-March and early July, well, morale was at an all-time high.
5: You know, it's kind of like a thank you to everybody for, for what we do, so...
11: But as the weeks and months wore on...
5: We were told, you know, we'd be getting in in August and then September, October and then November. And
11: the second wave of the pandemic put even more pressure on frontline workers. Employees like Zotech became tired of waiting.
4: It was almost like we were getting kicked while we were down.
11: More than 250,000 workers are eligible for the lump sum payment. So far, roughly 134,000 have received it. According to the hospital's employees union, those still waiting are largely support workers.
12: So many of our members who work in long-term care and who provide hospital support services like cleaning and dietary, uh, some of the lowest paid in the sector, They still haven't been paid, and that's really unacceptable and very frustrating as we go into the holiday season.
11: On Monday, the health minister apologized for the significant impact this delay has had on everyone affected.
5: But everyone who's eligible for pandemic pay will receive it. It's
11: all been sanitized and cleaned. It's taken longer than anticipated to work through the distribution of the new program to all of the employees working for hundreds of different employers. The premier says at this point, that's
4: no excuse. Yeah, no, it's not acceptable, and I'm very frustrated by this. I've expressed that to uh, officials, and I'm going to continue to work as hard as I can to make sure that the province of British Columbia is not the obstacle to ensuring these people get the pay they deserve.
11: It's looking like it will likely be the end of January 2021 before all remaining health care workers are paid out. Zotech isn't convinced just yet.
5: I'll believe it when I see it. Here's hoping.
11: Kylie Stanton, Global News.
5: The
1: province is also under fire for cutting COVID relief payments to some of the lowest income earners. Seniors and those who rely on disabilities. say it'll be a struggle to survive without the financial help. But as Nadia Stewart explains, the NDP government is defending its decision.
2: I hope they come to their senses and just keep it the way it is for, for our sakes.
13: Sonia Grandall and Brent Frayne say the $300 pandemic boost for income assistance and disability recipients has helped them immensely, allowing them to buy healthier food and access much-needed medication. News, the government plans to cut the benefit in half come January and phase it out entirely by March, has them feeling frustrated.
10: And taking away just a bare amount of $300 and then giving it back uh, at budget time? I mean, it, to me, it doesn't make any sense.
13: The extra $300 was an additional COVID-19 support for the province's most vulnerable. It's been in place since April. Now government says low-income earners could qualify for a one-time tax-free payment of up to $1,000 for families and $500 for individuals advocates say it is a benefit they should not have to apply for the reason everybody
0: else has to apply for the BC recovery benefit is because we're income we're, we need to discover people's income to determine how much they get for those that are already in the system we already know what they're making so we just we are advocating for the, for that one time transfer to be automatic
13: the premier says he is advocating for a permanent increase in financial supports for BC's most vulnerable As budget talks get underway.
4: We don't anticipate that the COVID uh, pandemic will be with us uh, uh, come the summer uh, of 2021. As we build the budget for the coming year, uh, we need to make sure that we're doing that starting from the same level on all programs.
13: But that doesn't do much for Grendel and Frayne, who've launched an advocacy campaign, 300 to Live, calling on government to halt the clawback until it's clearer how low-income earners will be supported beyond April 2021.
2: We just want him to reverse the $300 up until the budget time just so that we can have peace of mind going forward that there's going to be
13: something for us to look forward to. Because at this point, the looming reduction isn't much to look forward to. Nadia Stewart, Global News.
3: Accusations of cultural appropriation have a lot of people taking a second look at the Canucks Orca logo. The mass controversy that started it and why First Nations artists say it's time they got the respect they deserve in just over a minute. Missing at sea, the Canadian sailor believed to have fallen overboard and the effort to find him coming up on the News Hour.
1: Also tonight, the young prodigy from New Brunswick taking the chess world by storm.
3: That's coming up later. Right now, though, a controversy that began over a goalie's helmet has generated a new debate over the Vancouver Canucks logo.
1: A Canadian historian says the Orca logo is an example of cultural appropriation. But as Grace Key reports, at least one leading B.C. First Nations leader says he has no problem with it.
9: Vancouver Canuck goalie Braden Holtby wanted to pay homage to his new home with this mask, inspired by Northwest Indigenous art. An Indigenous historian with the University of Manitoba raised concerns about cultural appropriation. Holtby collaborated with Swedish artist David Gunnarsson. Grand Chief Stuart Phillip weighed in on the matter.
6: I didn't have any harsh, adverse reactions. However, given the principles of reconciliation, common sense would have dictated the player should have contacted local First Nations and asked if there were any cultural protocols that uh, needed to be uh, followed.
9: Master Carver Sanford Williams agrees. Williams has worked with the Canucks for Kids Fund Dyson Ice.
12: I wish the First Nations uh, did it or was consulted and in this age of reconciliation, it's not too much to ask. So, and I don't blame Braden. Uh, he didn't
10: know how strong our community is. So I wanted to play off the orca emblem.
9: This isn't the first time a player has used indigenous art on a mask. This was Ryan Miller in 2014, talking about how he came up with the idea for his design.
8: And to kind of make it set like a totem pole with the uh, thunderbird's head. Uh, People might kind of recognize it from stanley park's uh, totem pole
9: questions about the canuck logo have also come up but grand chief philip doesn't see an issue
6: i honor the relationship that the local first nations have with the canucks they haven't taken issue with the canucks logo so you know i have no problem with it i have a canucks jersey
9: the canucks declined an interview grace key global news
1: up next a
14: warning about porch pirates soon as those parcels get dropped off they're picking them up and taking them away. What
1: to do to make sure the Grinch doesn't steal your Christmas joy.
3: Also tonight the new discovery about COVID and how it impacts women who are pregnant.
15: Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge tonight. Just pockets of volume southbound on McBride through New West and the Queen's Park stretch. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $32 million. Lotto max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Two lanes in both directions and minimal delays. Keep in mind lane closures in both directions for overnight maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Need winter tires? No time for appointments. Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy staying in your car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel.
3: A massive search effort is underway for a Canadian sailor reported missing from a ship returning to CFB Esquimalt.
1: The Navy says master sailor Dwayne Earl was accidentally swept overboard of the of HMCS Winnipeg early Monday morning during a storm. He was not reported missing until several hours later. The Navy, the Royal Canadian Air Force, and the U.S. Coast Guard assets are searching an area five hundred nautical miles west of san francisco where earl likely went into the water
12: our efforts are currently focused on the search and supporting master sailor earl's family and winnipeg's sailors this is an unimaginably difficult time for the family and crew my thoughts since i heard the na- news are with dwayne's family friends and shipmates
1: earl joined the canadian armed forces in 1990 and served on several ships and multiple deployments He's being called a sailor's sailor with almost 2,000 days at sea.
3: Fashion designer Peter Nygaard is in custody in Winnipeg, facing extradition to the U.S. on numerous sex trafficking charges.
1: Global's Joe Scarpelli was there as the 79-year-old made his first court appearance.
12: Peter Nygaard entered the courtroom in shackles, a gray hoodie, and a white face mask. He then slowly made his way over to the prisoner's box where he quickly glanced over at the media then turned his body towards the front of the courtroom and rested his head in his hands. He looked nothing like the man you might recognize in these pictures. Nygaard was arrested Monday night in Winnipeg following a request from the U.S. Justice Department to begin extradition proceedings to face charges in the United States as part of an ongoing investigation by the FBI and New York Police Department. The 79-year-old is facing a total of nine charges. The charges include conspiracy to commit sex trafficking, sex trafficking of a minor by force, fraud, and several more. Dozens of women joined a class-action lawsuit accusing Nygaard of rape, sexual assault, and human trafficking. Twelve of the victims were minors when they say the crimes happened. Lisa Haba is a Florida attorney representing the women.
11: We've talked to some clients who have literally just been crying on the phone. Others have been hysterically laughing. Others have had, you know, a mixed reaction of emotions because, on the one hand, while they're so incredibly overjoyed that he's being held accountable... On the other hand, it obviously brings up all the pain and anguish they've had to live with.
12: We spoke to Nygaard's lawyer, Jay Prober, who says his client denies all allegations. Nygaard's next court appearance is scheduled for January 13th, but his lawyer says he'll be applying for bail before then. Joe Scarpelli, Global News.
3: In health matters tonight, a new strain of COVID-19 could be spreading in the UK. Health officials say there's no evidence it's any more dangerous, but it may be spreading faster. More than 1,000 cases have been identified, mostly in southern England. Parts of the region, including London, will face tougher restrictions starting Wednesday.
1: And a new study out of UBC has some sobering news for pregnant women during the pandemic and provides strong incentive to try to be careful. As Linda Ailsworth reports, the survey of national data shows pregnant women have a higher risk of severe symptoms from COVID-19.
16: The quest to better understand how the SARS-CoV-2 virus makes people sick and why some suffer more acutely than others has spawned many scientific studies.
2: Our goal was simply to understand the reality of of what this virus might mean for pregnancy um, and the newborn.
16: The University of BC study analyzed the cases of 430 pregnant Canadian women who tested positive for the virus and found that 11% were hospitalized compared to 1.7% of non-pregnant women.
2: That may be in part that people are um, uh, hospitalizing pregnant women a little more
16: readily than non-pregnant. But it's a different story when you look at the intensive care numbers. 2.4% of COVID-positive pregnant women were admitted to the ICU, compared to just 0.3% of non-pregnant women. We do
2: see this as being significantly higher, although the absolute rate is not very high. So, So the majority of women, of course, do fine.
16: Another part of Dr. Money's study looked at pregnancy outcomes we found a 15% rate of preterm birth, which is a problem.
15: Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Two lanes in both directions and minimal delays. Keep in mind lane closures in both directions for overnight maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy staying your car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm sure with was in, in Global One at the Massey Tunnel.
3: A massive search effort is underway for a Canadian sailor reported missing from a ship returning to CFB Esquimalt.
1: The Navy says Master Sailor Dwayne Earl was accidentally swept overboard of, the, of HMCS Winnipeg early Monday morning during a storm. He was not reported missing until several hours later. The Navy, the Royal Canadian Air Force and the U.S. Coast Guard assets are searching an area 500 nautical miles west of san francisco where earl likely went into the water
12: our efforts are currently focused on the search and supporting master sailor earl's family and winnipeg's sailors this is an unimaginably difficult time for the family and crew my thoughts since i heard the na- news are with Duane's family friends and shipmates
1: earl joined the canadian armed forces in 1990 and served on several ships and multiple deployments. He's being called a sailor's sailor with almost 2,000 days at sea.
3: Fashion designer Peter Nygaard is in custody in Winnipeg, facing extradition to the U.S. on numerous sex
12: trafficking charges.
1: Global's Joe Scarpelli was there as the 79-year-old made his first court appearance.
12: Peter Nygaard entered the courtroom in shackles, a gray hoodie, and a white face mask. He then slowly made his way over to the prisoner's box, where he quickly glanced over at the media, then turned his body towards the front of the courtroom and rested his head in his hand. He looked nothing like the man you might recognize in these pictures. Nygaard was arrested Monday night in Winnipeg following a request from the U.S. Justice Department to begin extradition proceedings to face charges in the United States as part of an ongoing investigation by the FBI and New York Police Department. The 79-year-old is facing a total of nine charges. The charges include conspiracy to commit sex trafficking, sex trafficking of a minor by force, fraud, and several more. Dozens of women joined a class-action lawsuit accusing Nygaard of rape, sexual assault, and human trafficking. Twelve of the victims were minors when they say the crimes happened. Lisa Haba is a Florida attorney representing the women.
11: We've talked to some clients who have literally just been crying on the phone. Others have been hysterically laughing. Others have had, you know, a mixed reaction of emotions because, on the one hand, while they're so incredibly overjoyed that he's being held accountable... On the other hand, it obviously brings up all the pain and anguish they've had to live
12: with. We spoke to Nygaard's lawyer, Jay Prober, who says his client denies all allegations. Nygaard's next court appearance is scheduled for January 13th, but his lawyer says he'll be applying for bail before then. Joe Scarpelli, Global News.
3: In health matters tonight, a new strain of COVID-19 could be spreading in the UK. Health officials say there's no evidence it's any more dangerous, but it may be spreading faster. More than 1,000 cases have been identified, mostly in southern England. Parts of the region, including London, will face tougher restrictions starting Wednesday.
1: And a new study out of UBC has some sobering news for pregnant women during the pandemic and provides strong incentive to try to be careful. As Linda Ailsworth reports, the survey of national data shows pregnant women have a higher risk of severe symptoms from COVID-19.
16: The quest to better understand how the SARS-CoV-2 virus makes people sick and why some suffer more acutely than others has spawned many scientific studies. Our goal was
2: simply to understand the reality of of what this virus might mean for pregnancy um, and the newborn.
16: The University of BC study analyzed the cases of 430 pregnant Canadian women who tested positive for the virus and found that 11% were hospitalized compared to 1.7% of non-pregnant women.
2: That may be in part that people are um, uh, hospitalizing pregnant women a little more readily than
16: non-pregnant. But it's a different story when you look at the intensive care numbers. 2.4% of COVID-positive pregnant women were admitted to the ICU, compared to just 0.3% of non-pregnant women. We do see this as being
2: significantly higher, although the absolute rate is not very high. So, So the majority of women, of course, do fine.
16: Another part of Dr. Money's study looked at pregnancy outcomes
2: we found a 15% rate of preterm birth, which is approximately double what we see in uh, uh, the general population.
16: That could be because the illness triggers spontaneous labor or because it leads to the need for cesarean sections due to the mother's health. The study's ongoing in the hopes of answering such questions. Finally, what about whether or not the infant can become infected in utero?
2: a small um, number of reports of infants being infected but very very few Uh, so this is actually very good news uh, that we're not seeing um, serious illness in the infants related to the virus itself
16: linda Aylesworth, global news still to come
3: the seven-year-old chess champion i do also want to become a national master how he's winning games and winning hearts too
1: and the wave of debris, taller than an office tower, unleashed on the B.C. coast. Oil continues to leak from the wreck of the sunken ship MV Schkedyke in Nootka Sound. And today, we're learning some wildlife has been impacted as well. The Schkedyke was carrying grain and wood chips when it went down in 1968 after striking an underwater ledge. Locals spotted the slick recently, and video from a remote-operated submarine revealed thick, oily goo leaking out of the overturned hull in several places. One sea otter has been found dead, another sea otter and a blue heron have been soiled, and crews are attempting to catch and rehabilitate the animals. The amount of bunker fuel and diesel on board is still unknown, but the Ministry of Environment is looking at options for bulk removal of whatever is left over. A crew of over 40 personnel has been at the site deploying 16,000 feet of containment boom to prevent any more of the oil from reaching the shore.
3: The almost unbelievable scale of a landslide that roared down remote Butte Inlet is now starting to be understood.
1: The slide happened in late November, and as Ted Chernecki reports, when the first huge fall of debris hit a glacial lake, it generated a wave
5: as high as some of Vancouver's skyscrapers. The debris field, more than two weeks after the massive slide, is today described as a floating island. First Nations members are assessing valuable salmon spawning grounds that appear to be destroyed. It's going to be a big loss for our community because it's, uh, it's a, um, our people have been, the salmon, the chum stocks have been declining, so it, it, it just knocks it back even more. They're just thankful no one was killed that they know of. A month earlier, the Homolko First Nation would have been up there logging. There was nobody there, but that um, slide took out an 80-foot bridge, and uh, from what I heard from our fisheries manager, a cabin was, was washed out. When the side of a mountain let go, it created a lake tsunami estimated at anywhere from 70 to 100 meters high. To put that into perspective, at the lower end of that estimation, 70 meters would be the equivalent of a giant wave high enough to swamp the car deck on the Lionsgate Bridge. At the higher end, 110 meters means the entire Lionsgate Bridge would be submerged. Forty years ago, before climate change, this wouldn't have happened because of a glacier being there to protect the lake.
10: If the glacier had been extended further, it would have fallen onto the glacier and there would have been no wave. But Mm -hmm. since it's pulled back enough... The landslide was able to hit the lake, which has grown immensely in the last 40 years.
5: The lake is also very deep, so when the rocks hit, there was just that much more water to displace. Tensionic Global News. Amazing pictures from that region, mm-hmm. for sure.
3: All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at that weather forecast. And uh, boy, it's sure feeling like winter in some parts of BC right now, Christy.
14: Yes, in fact, the province is uh, a- explaining that they really want um, no non-essential travel on any of the mountain passes, especially the Kokohala, because we have a winter storm warning still in effect. It was issued yesterday and it's continuing right through, likely until Thursday morning. Here's a look at the scene there earlier today. We've seen up to 15 centimeters in some parts of the uh, highway, still another 20 plus potentially through the overnight periods. So uh, heavy snow expected there. Here's the snow forecast for other regions as well because Kootenay Pass, Pine Pass under a snowfall warning as well. We've got two different sections here for you. One is because we're going to see a wave overnight tonight. We're going to see a bit of a lull in the action tomorrow morning. Doesn't mean you should get out on the roads because it will be so brief. And then another wave beginning tomorrow afternoon right through until Thursday morning. So heavy snow in those two sections even the connector expecting uh, less and not under a snowfall warning but still significant snow there Uh, if you do end up traveling you need to make sure that you're prepared water snacks first aid kit winter clothing because there is a chance that you could get uh, stranded let's say if all of a sudden you're in a significant snow or for example they close down the highway so make sure you're prepared don't travel mountain passes without that Whistler this morning but that has changed over to rain through most of the lower elevation areas so travel is not bad up through Whistler and that will be the case in many areas tomorrow snow still expected right down to the valley bottom tomorrow or sorry overnight but tomorrow a lot of areas will see a transition to rain and for us Yes, more rain on the way. It dips off significantly tomorrow afternoon. We're still expecting that break of sunshine Thursday afternoon. In the meantime, there's your Wednesday forecast, everyone. Across the south, again, snow overnight, changing to rain for our region. We are just looking at showers overnight, but periods of rain tomorrow. But we're headed towards that break of blue sky Thursday afternoon before the rain returns on Friday and Saturday. And I'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather window, which is a stunning shot of the recent. Snowfall in Golden. Back to you, guys.
3: That is beautiful. That bright spot's still there for Thursday. I'm holding out hope. Some of that video, they were they were
1: towing a, a snowplow out of the side of the road. You know it's bad when they're towing mm-hmm. snowplows out. All right, thanks very much for that. Yeah. Christy Squire, Squire joins us now uh, with a look ahead to sports. They need Mr. Plow. <laughs> that name again is Mr. Mm-hmm. Plow. Uh,
10: a Tri-City Girls Hockey team decided skating miles would go a long way to helping others.
6: You got to, like, challenge yourself to make a difference.
10: And that's what they did. They made a difference. They practiced skating, and they also practiced being great citizens.
3: Also coming up tonight, the Queen's Gambit inspires a love of chess. But one first grader is a real-life prodigy on a path to greatness. What's going on in sports, you ask?
1: I know a guy who
10: knows. I think
3: I can help you out.
10: (laughs) Um, The Western Hockey League wanted to uh, start a new season on January 8th, but that plan has been put on ice until further notice. They do want to play some kind of a season, but it's going to be a short one and likely not start until February at the earliest. Now, February is actually when the Ontario Hockey League wants to start its season. The Quebec League did start in October, But it's been shut down this month because of a lot of COVID issues and they hope to resume their schedule in January. Now getting back to the Western Hockey League, the plan was and would still be to keep all teams playing strictly within their divisions. So all the BC teams wouldn't play any team from the States or the Prairies. The playoffs though could be tricky with American teams, but maybe by then the border situation would be different. Now the Toronto Raptors had this dream. About Giannis Antetokounmpo becoming a free agent and signing with them, he does like Toronto. But today, the Raptors' dream was shattered when Giannis signed a five-year contract extension with Milwaukee for 228 million, or roughly an average of 45.6 million per season. So now, the word "bucks" that is on his uniform seems really appropriate. Uh, what sold him on stay wasn't just the money, he'd get paid anywhere. It was the fact the Bucks have reshaped their roster around him this offseason to give Milwaukee more of an opportunity to win in the playoffs. They've been a very good regular season team, but not so much in the postseason because they haven't been giving Antetokounmpo enough supporting cast. It's also good he didn't leave Milwaukee to join another superstar somewhere else, which has become the trend in recent years in the NBA. Well, we told you before the break, a local girls hockey team with kids who are from Coquitlam, Port Coquitlam, and Port Moody couldn't play any games, but that didn't mean they still couldn't do something with their skates on. What they ended up doing raised a lot of money for people in need. How many
1: laps are we going to do?
5: 100.
1: A 100. A I think we do more than 100. When Dr. Bonnie Henry told us we had to go back to uh, more restrictions, so we couldn't play any games and we couldn't do any battle drills. So we were all kind of complaining about, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do for a practice plan? So then I just came to my mind, let's do a
4: skate-a-thon. Okay, 7.16, 16 are skating for about 50 minutes. And did these U11 girls from the Tri-Cities Female Ice Hockey Association skate? Lap after lap after lap. Even better, they challenged the teams they'd normally How be playing against to join them in the skate yeah, 10 teams in all. Talia,
11: Ryan, and Heidi oh, have all 100. Beautiful. Uh, how much
4: skating did you do? Uh, I did
6: 166 laps. I and in,
4: 166 laps translated into how
10: many dollars?
8: Uh, $4,600. All right, here we are in the penalty box. Live update, halfway through the skate thon. We're
5: over 50 laps. But as you can see, our skaters
4: have slowed considerably. Tell me what
6: that day was like. Um. Well, it was challenging, but really fun because you got to, like, challenge yourself to make a difference.
4: A big whopping difference, as in a crease-size filling check worth over $25,000 to the local Share Society food bank. <laughs>
3: just blown away. I mean, it's, you know, it's on multiple levels, right? The generosity of the community right now, especially during this pandemic year, it's just... It, it really has blown us away. And I, you know, on a very personal level, I mean, it just to me, I look at, you know, these girls and these are these are the leaders of the Tri-Cities of tomorrow. I mean, this just fills me with
14: so much hope. Good job, Pager! Everyone has asked, like, why is it so important yeah. to keep the girls on the ice and keep them going? Well, hockey is more than just going there and skating and staying fit. It's about learning life lessons, making friends. It, it teaches you leadership, like the... Uh, these girls are role models. Food
4: bank, skate thon Tri-City Predators, raising money.
14: This is the power of sport. This is, you know, the power of caring about community. And that's something that COVID definitely cannot touch and cannot stop, is caring about community.
3: Thank you.
10: Okay, so last night's game between Baltimore and Cleveland ended with the Ravens getting two more points on a safety when the Browns' series of laterals went backwards instead of forwards. It ended up in their own end zone for the two-point safety. That meant... A three-point Baltimore win, which is what it looked like, became a five-point win, 47-42, and it changed a lot of bettors' fortunes. FanDuel's online betting site has decided to get into the Christmas spirit and pay back $750,000 to anyone who before the game bet the Browns as three-point, three-and-a-half-point, or four-and-a-half-point underdogs and suffered what is known in the betting world as a bad beat because of all those bets a lot of people would have lost on the last play. Now, this is the final moment of the Cleveland Laterals. On the uh, flip side, a lot of sports books in Vegas lost money because of this, since anyone who bet the Ravens would have been losing on most point spreads until this happened. William Hill's betting site said one player had bet $126,000 on the Ravens as three-point favorites, so the extra two points made that better a heck of a lot richer.
16: There you
1: go unbelievable. Okay, thanks, Squire.
3: Let's check in with Jade Rant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11, J.D.? Thank you, Sophie. We will have more on that tragic
10: accident that's claimed a life in Surrey this afternoon. Our RCMP say a woman was killed when a driverless van jumped the curb and struck her. A witness says she was walking with two children when she was hit. And a winter storm warning has been issued for the Coquihalla. Conditions are being described as hazardous and drivers are being urged to consider postponing non-essential travel until the weather improves. Those stories and more tonight at 11. Sophie, Chris. All
1: right, Jay, thank you.
3: Up next, we'll meet an adorable child prodigy on a
0: warpath across the chessboard. Checkmate. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it
3: Inspired by the Netflix series The Queen's Gambit, anything and everything related to the game of chess is flying off store shelves right now for Christmas.
1: But as Global Shelley Steves reports, New Brunswick has a real-life prodigy whose passion for the game of chess is matched only by his talent.
17: Chess isn't always competitive. The popular Netflix series The Queen's chess. Gambit has created a chess craze across the country.
6: Our chess games themselves have gone up 20% as a company, and our books have gone up more than
17: 50%. New players are being inspired to take up the age-old game of strategy by the series' main character, a child prodigy with a troubled past. I feel safe in an entire world of just 64 squares. But New Brunswick has a prodigy of its own. It's a fun brain sport. Meet seven-year-old Andreas Duma. The young player, whose hands are not much bigger than the pieces, consistently takes the board from adults far beyond his years, having recently tied an international master. When I play them, they're losing. (laughs) They might start playing a bit harder
6: or, like, trying their
17: fully best. Too young to take home some cash prizes. Because I was really little he has to settle for trophies and medals, which are piling up. I do also want to become a national master, and then an international master, and then a grandmaster. Andreas was only four and a half years old when his father taught him to play. That's when his obsession was born.
3: My husband has to put on a stop a stop watch uh, when he
2: goes to bed to read his books before, before bed and he hears the timer go off and then
17: it's time to stop the chess reading. Sounds an awful lot Resign. like the character in the series, which Andreas has not seen because his mother says it's too dark Resign. for a seven-year-old. But she says he can relate to the main character's obsession with the game and with the thrill of taking on international players. Yeah, I have one tonight. I'm going to play against Germany with a U.S. team. His advice to adults and kids inspired by the series to take up the game? Maybe study tactics from a book. Just don't forget to set that timer at bedtime. Shelley Steves, Global News, St. John.
10: Is it just me or does that young boy remind you of that show Young Sheldon? Younger. Uh, Younger
1: Sheldon. That's right. Well, he's got the (laughs) bow (laughs) tie. Makes sense. So, funny! Oh, yeah. have you got the kids playing chess yet, Christy?
14: Oh, yes. Jordan loves it. And he beats me every time, it's every time. <laughs> I tell <Watch>. <laughs> you. Every time.
1: I prefer go fish. Watch out for the gambit.
3: Final word on the weather, you
1: Christy. You beat
14: me in chess. Uh, periods of rain uh, expected throughout the day tomorrow we're also going to see windy conditions now the rain will be heavy at times through the afternoon hours tomorrow and into the evening as well and again heavy snow for anywhere east of hope and up towards whistles shouldn't be too bad though
1: all right tell jordan i'll take him on next time we can all be together (laughs) have a great night everybody thanks for watching
14: good night all